0: He is risen. All right. There. Um, Let's uh, take a moment once again and uh, turn our hearts to the Lord. Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, our Savior, that he lives, that we can come and rejoice in his life, his resurrected life, and the life that he has given to us. And Father, as we have just been singing, behold, he comes. We look forward to that day. When we see him coming, and all of our hopes, all of our desires will be fulfilled in that moment when we are with him forever. We look to you this morning for help as we look into your word. May you speak to our hearts, and may it not be just me with idle words, Lord, but may it be the word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit that penetrates our hearts that we may see the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we worship him, may sinners be converted and turn to him, may they come to see him as the only savior of the world, and may they come to see him as their only savior, and um, rejoice in that. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. I was excited to hear on Good Friday of uh, a lady who was sitting in an audience like this, hearing a message. And she went to church for 30 years. Sat there for 30 years and heard the message. And everybody in the place, perhaps even including herself, thought that she was a believer. And it dawned on her she had never personally come to accept the Savior as her own. And right there on Good Friday morning, sitting in a seat, she came to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. That can happen for you today if you don't know him. So what does Easter mean to you? What is it about? I have to say, growing up, um, we didn't give a lot of thought to Easter as part of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In our home, it was you always got a stuffed bunny, a chocolate bunny, and a bunch of sugary eggs. That probably is why I have a mouthful of fillings. So that's kind of what we did in our home. I actually grew up in a place where the gospel was preached and so on, but we didn't talk about it at Easter time. Now there's a reason for that, because we came this morning, and I'll tell you, being the guy who has to come up, stand up here and give the announcements to kind of make things end, you feel like a bum. Like, <laughs> I wanted this morning to just go on. I understand now why Paul preached until midnight, and the guy fell out the window, and then he said, bring him back. Like, we, I got more to say. <laughs> because I felt like we could have gone on this morning. Yes. And you know what? That's not the only Sunday morning that I've been here at 930 and felt like it should go on and on and on. So if you're missing that, you're missing. But, you know, the thing is, every Sunday we come to remember the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. So every Sunday is kind of an Easter Sunday for us. And so I understand why, perhaps, there there was no real mention of it, but I look at it and think it's a great opportunity to proclaim to the whole world. And for me, I think, after I came to know Christ, it's a great opportunity to spend a whole weekend thinking, thinking and thinking about the cross, the tomb, and the empty tomb, and my living hope. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from a now empty tomb near Jerusalem. Now there are people who think that it's that garden tomb. Perhaps it is. I don't know. There are some who have been there. John, I know you've been there. There's others here who have been there. And it's, it's amazing to see it. It's amazing to see this empty tomb. Whether that's the actual one or not, it doesn't matter. There is one like that somewhere if it's not the one. I was reading this morning as number of gentlemen shared on Matthew chapter 28 and there's a little story towards the end that says that the guards who were scared to death came and said okay we got a story to tell you here's what happened and this is the real story what happened and we fell over dead and then all of a sudden there's no body it's gone so they went to the leaders in the temple said look you know what guys you're supposed to pay for pay for this with your life but instead what we're going to do we're going to give you some money and here's the story you're going to tell everybody Middle of the night, we dozed off, disciples came, stole a body, and we don't know where it is. That's the story you're going to tell. Now, oh, wait a minute, well, that, that, that means death. Yeah, but tell you what, we're a corrupt bunch of religious guys, and we're going, to, we're going to cover that over for you, okay? We'll look after you. And here's a load of money. Get the wheelbarrows, because we've got lots of shekels for you. And so... They took away all the money, and it says that story spread amongst everybody and is even there to this day. Sometimes I read in the Bible, even there to this day, I think that's probably like even there to today. Because you know what? Nobody has ever, ever, ever produced a body. You want to kill a resurrection? They've had 2,000 years to come up with a body, and nobody has. Do you know why? Somebody tell me why. There is no body. He is not here, he is risen. And so that has nothing to do with what I was going to preach on today, but I got kind of excited about it as I think about that is what Easter is all about. That is what the resurrection is all about. Now, some people say, Easter, it's a pagan holiday, blah, 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 blah. That's what I say is blah, blah, blah. I don't really care. You call it what you want. I'm calling this Easter Sunday. I'm calling it Resurrection Sunday. I'm calling it the greatest hope of all time, the greatest miracle of all time. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And nothing more needs to be said. You can call it whatever you want. Even in my home, even though I believe that, and I'm, I'm so adamant about that, we still did Easter egg hunts in my home, just for fun. But we made sure that the kids knew Jesus Christ is alive. And you don't just wait till once a year to do that. You do it every single day of your life. You live your life in living hope. So turn with your, me in your Bibles, please, to First Peter chapter 1. I, I had another message, halfway's done. And I told a couple of guys at prayer meeting on Thursday night, and I said, you know, that's not the message. That might be a message for me, but that's, that's not my message for Sunday morning. It's just not going to be it. What do I do? You feel like you're really, like, sunk at that moment. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I'm reading, and I thought, there's the word Resurrection. Uh, that's the message. That's what the Lord wants me to know today. So turn First Peter chapter one verses three and four. Just a short passage, two verses. Blessed be. This is from the New American Standard. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You know, out of that, I looked and I thought, there are are four words. There are four words that are coming out of this that that struck me about the resurrection. It brings us four things. I could get more, I suppose, but here, here are the four that hit me. And the other message actually was perfect because it had three points. This one has four. So, but it, it, it brings mercy. The resurrection brings mercy. It brings life. It brings hope. And it assures us of heaven. And I highlight it uh, in, in that verse where those words are found. Mercy, uh, born again, which is life, living hope, and reserved in heaven. So, first of all, the resurrection brings Mercy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy. You know, every generation since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, when man first sinned, has paid the price for their sin. And what is that price? Romans Romans 6, verse 23. It says, The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. I have looked, and even with a few people who perhaps haven't died, Enoch, Elijah, it's very, very rare other than that, so there's a couple people. But other than that, even if you mix them in, the death rate is 100%. 100% of people die. You are destined to for a spot in the ground. That's, that's what's going to happen to everybody. 107 people a minute. 153,400 a day. 56 million people a year around this world die. Walter Scott, Sir Walter Scott said, Come he slow or come he fast. It is but death who comes at last. Death will come to every single person. It's endless. It's uninterrupted. It's a cruel cycle of life and death. It just keeps going and going and going. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, Vanity of vanities. This is Solomon, the wisest man, supposedly, who ever lived. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What advantage does a man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? That's on this earth. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So behind you is another generation. You know, I was really struck when I went down to uh, Cape Breton. My, my aunts moved into kind of a care facility and they had to... The, the thing is, when they go in, you're allowed to take a suitcase. That's pretty much it. Um, they really feel it was a blessing. They were allowed to take their reading lamp and their chair. That's an exceptional thing that they were able to do that. So everything else they've ever owned and accumulated over 90 years over 90 years, has been donated, taken away in my car, taken away in somebody else's car, has gone somewhere else. And they're still living. But when they go, they will leave the chair and the lamp and the suitcase behind. And Solomon is saying that man has paid greatly because of sin. They die. They leave everything behind. And then another generation comes. And you know the funny thing? i got to be careful because I'm online here. But they, you know, my aunt was saying, hey, would you like this? And I'm thinking, not really. Uh, there's a lot of things I said, yeah, I'd love to have that. A lot of things uh, I was really thankful for. But there's some things that just have meaning. And I know I've got junk in my house. I've got a rock collection. Okay, Who, has, who else has a rock collection? Stick your hand up. Okay, one, one other person. Okay, so you know what? I'll change my will. So I'm thinking... The day I'm gone, who's going to want those rocks? Who cares? Nobody knows where they came from. Nobody cares. Precious to me, worth nothing to the next generation. And that's the endless cycle of life. But you see, here's the, okay. well, yeah, let's not get ahead of myself. So one famous actor, um, I won't say his name, but he said, we are here to ruin ourselves, to break our hearts, to love all the wrong people, and then to die. Wow. How hopeful. Isn't that great? Because you know what? You might as well exit now if that's what life is all about. You you know, no wonder people say I dread the day I was born. Because if that's the way you look at life, if that's the way it is to you, there is no hope. Life is full of just cruelty, death, that cycle. Life is merciless. But here's the thing, and this is my first point. The resurrection brings mercy to us, the, while life is cruel, while life might seem senseless, the resurrection is merciful. First of all, it shows that there is a God who wants to break that endless cycle. God wants to interrupt your life and my life and break that cycle, rather than let the cycle go on and on and on. He interrupted it with the resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15, read this morning, verse 21. You see. Just as death came into the world as through one man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Christ. That's from the NLT. Peter called God's mercy abundant. And this was from his own personal experience. You know, Peter is an interesting character because this is all recorded in all all of the Gospels. Was I supposed to change? No, I wasn't. Okay. So in all of the Gospels, Peter... It's recorded, his denial. First he says, you know what, Lord? (laughs) I will die with you. There's no way I'm going to ever deny you. Okay, a few hours later. uh, Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Really? I told you, man, I don't know him. And then the third time, I won't say what he said, but get away from me. I I never knew. I don't know him. I'm not with him. Three times. Do you ever wonder why it's recorded in John John's writing it. That's probably why I want to let everybody know he's a faster runner. But, but when they came to the tomb, it says that the, the, the first disciple ran on ahead and he got there first. Do you think Peter was anxious to see a risen Lord at that point in time after he had just said, uh, yeah, no, I didn't know him. Peter had denied him. He's probably going to the tomb and goes, okay, okay, what am I going to say? Okay, I'm sorry I denied you. I know you were, you were right. That's what I'll say. You were right. You were right. I'm sure Peter was just kind of sauntering to the tomb, but you know when he got there, when he got there, he saw the tomb was empty. Imagine the guilt and the burden and all of this stuff that happened in Peter's life as he as he kind of walked towards that tomb. And then there's a story that's a little further on, and it's in um, John chapter 21, verse 7. And here's Peter. He says, "Okay, he's gone. He's dead. <laughs> life is over. I'm going back to fishing." I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the boat. And he's out there in the boat and he looks on the shore and he says, it's the Lord. Puts on his best clothes and jumps in the water and swims to shore to see him. He's so excited because you know why? He knew the one who's standing on the shore is filled with mercy, has abundant mercy for him. No longer is he the guilty Peter, he's the forgiven Peter. God's mercy is great. He had... At that point in time, Jesus said, three, gave him three chances to affirm his love for him. And then he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. In John chapter 21. How about you today? you ever feel like you wish you could just hit the escape key on your life? Or hit control, alt, delete? Just start it all, just a, a cold boot, have it again? Because you feel like, oh, I've got so much guilt. I've got so much, I've got so much trouble in my life. I would just like to get a restart on my life. God's mercy, Brian Dillman said it so eloquently years ago, mercy is for the miserable. If you are miserable in your sin, God's abundant mercy is for you. The resurrection of Christ made mercy a possibility for us all. Mercy was a priority for the Lord Jesus. He said even from the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. There's a story told of uh, Abraham Lincoln after the Civil War was over, and some of the northern generals came to him and says, okay, war's over. How are we going to treat those southerners now? And he said, you know what? I'm, gonna tr- I'm paraphrasing this. I'll treat them like they never left. I'll treat them like they never left. What great mercy. Jesus Christ will treat you today if you'll come to him like you never left. That's his mercy. The second thing that the resurrection brings, it brings us life. Now, I've not ever quoted from Eugene Peterson's The Message before, and this is probably the only time I will, but uh, it's not my favorite. uh, They call it a translation. It's not, it's a paraphrase, but it says... Because Jesus, this was a good verse though. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. We have been given a brand new life and everything to live for. If Jesus had come and died without resurrecting, there would be no possibility of eternal life. All of those promises would be empty. Everything he said in John chapter 3, tear it up and throw it out because he's a fraud, he didn't live. But you see, without resurrection, there is no eternal life. But Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 19, he says, After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live also. What great hope? Life. We have life in him. Now, the English word that we use for life actually has three different words in the Greek. The first one is bios, which means your physical life, your external life. Um, I'll give an example of that. I think I have it there. Yes, Luke, chapter eight, verse fourteen. The seed which fell among the thorns. These little, uh, these are the ones who have heard, and they go on their way and are choked by the worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. The cares of this world, this life. How do I look? How's my hair? All that stuff. The stuff that we get. The, the part of life we get most preoccupied with and spend all of our time worrying about. And then there's this word um, that we actually looked at this word last night on, uh, on ESL. Suke. Uh, it might have said it wrong, but that's roughly it. It's the inward life, your conscience, your psychological life, your, your, your personality. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 39, he who has found his life will lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake will also find it. That's also in, in Mark and Luke and in the story of the rich man uh, who decided he was going to tear down his barns and build greater. You remember that story in, in uh, Luke chapter 12? He had an abundant crop and it says he said to his soul, soul, you have laid up much for yourself. Well, the word for soul there is the same as this word here for life. It's, it's the same word. To his inner person, soul, you're good. You're good. But God said something different. This night, your soul will be required of you. I'm taking it back from you. We had much discussion on that in the, in the study last night because the Chinese people who were, who were looking at this did not understand that it meant Death. But once you say this is, this is, you have to, it'll be required, taken back from you. So that's the other one. And the other one, the most common word is zoe. I, I said it wrong, but anyway. Um, means age abiding life. It's a term for eternal, everlasting life. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is that little word. Okay, It is everlasting life, spiritual life. It doesn't just mean quantity, it's the quality of life that lasts forever. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and destroy. I came that they may have life, the same word, and have it abundantly, abundant life. Not just a quantity of long life forever, but a quality of life, an abundant life. Life to the full. Technically, every person... Who is born is an eternal being. You have an eternal soul that will never die. But the question is where? Where will your soul be when you die? That's the greatest question you could face. You have an eternal life, as it were. But will it be eternal life with God or will it be ter- eternal separation from God because you've never come to God? But when a person is born again, as Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, that through the resurrection, we are born again. When you are born again, you are given a new life. Life begins for you. You know, actually, it affects all three kinds of life. Your physical life, your decaying body. If David Spidell was on there, he's probably typing amen right now because you know what the thing is? My decaying and declining body, I'm getting a new body for heaven. A new body The promise to every believer is a new body. The psychological life, you have peace of mind. There's a peace of mind that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. There's a peace of mind knowing you have peace with God. And then your spiritual life, your life in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And your future and eternity are secure. You know, if you think in life of the good old days, that your best days have been behind you, in all likelihood, you're still dead in darkness and in sin. But if you are a believer, you look and you say, my best days are ahead of me. They are ahead of me, no matter what happens. I have an interview tomorrow. If I get the job, is that the greatest day? No, not at all. <laughs> if, if I get a, a letter in the mail that some uncle that I didn't know left me a bazillion dollars, is that my best day? Not at all. My best day is ahead of me when I am with Jesus Christ forever. That's my best day. That is life. That's eternal life. You see, we find out a lot about eternal life. We find out a lot about born again when we read in John chapter 3, verse 16. This man, Nicodemus, comes and speaks to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says to him, look, you know what? In John chapter 3, verse 3, you need to be born from above. Born of God, that is what real life is, it means that you are enlivened, you're transformed from the inside out, you know, the thing is, I could do a hundred interviews, and fail them all, and then I can go over to Moore's and say, hey, I've been trying to get a job, I did a hundred interviews, I failed them all, can you give me a new suit, all right, here's a new suit, and I get the new suit and I put it on and I still go into the interview bumbling, fumbling, using the wrong words and saying everything else. Am I gonna get the job? No, that's what religion does. Religion is, you know what, I know, I know I feel guilty all the time with all of this stuff. If I just clean myself up, if I just change the way I look, if I just change, if I don't cuss anymore, if if I don't do this anymore, if I'm nicer to my neighbor, then I'll be okay. No. The transformation that comes from being born again is inside. It's from the inside out that we are changed. Your outside will change, but it's changed from the inside. If anybody has a suit to lend me for noon tomorrow, I'd like it. (laughs) You see, only Jesus Christ can do that. Only he can make that change from the inside. You can't change your inside. You can't change your heart. Only God can do that. And you need the new birth. Thirdly, and I'll move along here, it brings hope. Easter is a celebration of hope. One of the things I like about this time of the year, I get out and I walk on the trails and stuff is coming back to life. I can hear birds singing. It's getting warmer. Well, sort of. It was getting warmer. And... And, you know, it's, it's just, it's one of those times of year. It's, it's kind of hopeful. Oh, that long winter's behind me. I'm hopeful. The weather's going to get better. I'm going to enjoy the summer coming up and so on and so on. If there's anything this world needs is hope. Let's look back on the past year. A year ago, we did not have an Easter Sunday service here. Anyway, may spoke from home. First time ever, probably, on an iPhone, speaking to a congregation. We had... The Lord's Supper for the first time on Zoom. Boy, didn't that seem hopeless. I, I'm sorry, but it, it, you know, it was it was great we were able to do that, but we needed hope. And think of ever since then, the world has hoped for a vaccination. The world has hoped COVID would go away. They've hoped this and they've hoped that. But you know what? That's that's not the answer to any of this. Man needs hope, like real, sure hope. If you go out and get a vaccination tomorrow, it might work, or it might not. I'll probably get it, one of them, and probably say, hope it works. But that's wishful hoping. We need a sure hope. We're talking about a sure hope. Not not I hope I win the lottery, not I hope I get a new job, not I hope this. It's a sure hope, something I can anchor my soul to. And that's what Peter is speaking of here. Man can live for 40 days, one writer says, 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. Man cannot live without hope. We need hope. And if you think of your life before you knew Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, if you don't you don't might not have a story to tell about, or you think I'm not eloquent enough, but this tells every believer's story of where they were before they knew Jesus Christ. It says, and remember, you were at the time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in this world. Without God in this world, you have no hope for this life or the next. A teenager, and I put the quote up here. This is a teenager posted this on an atheist forum. This teenager is just desperate, and I just read this little quote this past week. She says, I'm confused. I always believed science would be the cure-all for my problems. But I don't know if I can keep living without eternal life. I guess I'll have to find a way myself to make it through this meaningless existence. I just wish I knew of someone who could show me the path to eternal life. If science can't provide the answers, then who or what can? Doesn't it seem like a higher power that gives our life purpose? Well, science says that there isn't, so I guess there isn't. And I'll tell you, wouldn't you love to sit down with that person? Have five minutes? Give her a tract. Give her a tract. Absolutely, John, amen. You know, but that's the way, that's the way many of the people that we speak to on the streets have lived their life. That's what, they, they have no hope. And it doesn't matter if you're living on the streets or you're living in a mansion. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you have no hope in this world. That's what the scriptures teach. Before Jesus came, Peter was a fisherman. Now, people think it's really cool to be a fisherman. You see bumper stickers. I'd rather be fishing. Well, I've been off work for a while. I'd rather be working right now. So, but you know, people go around with this bumper sticker I'd rather be fishing do they really know what they wish for? have they ever been to Yarmouth and talked to someone like Ashton Spinney and asked him so what do you do for a living? I fish oh yeah it must be nice yeah we start in November and we go out into the Gulf of Maine with freezing spray on our faces all day and there's not enough noxema in the world to, to kill the sun and wind burn that we've got but anyway that's what we do so Peter was doing this on the Sea of Galilee And then one day, Jesus says, hey, come here, follow me. You're going to fish men. Peter left it all, walked away from it all. Didn't even put it on Kijiji or Marketplace. He just walked away from it all and followed Jesus. And so here he is. His life was monotonous. It was boring. He says, okay, this guy's this is exciting. Three years he's walking with this guy. And then all of a sudden three years into it, he's at that hill and sees, wait a minute, the man that I've put all my eggs in, all the basket I've put all my eggs in, has just breathed his last. He's dead. My hope, it's gone. What do I do? Jesus rose from the dead, and one of the first things he did, he, he walked along the road. It's a wonderful story, recorded in Luke 24. And he's walking along the road with these two dudes, and he says, hey, what's going on? And they said, what's going on? Haven't you heard? Where have you been? What do you mean? How about Jesus? The Nazarene. What about him? Come on, like we had hoped. It says right there, we had hoped he would be the one who would come and deliver us. We had hoped. Everybody was looking for hope. But you see, when Peter came and he walked into that tomb and he looked, his hope was realized. It's empty. He's alive. I remember he said he was going to be alive. And he is, praise God. I now have living hope. And that's what he wrote about in 1 Peter chapter 1. I have a living hope. When Jesus rose from the dead, it's like hope went off scale for everybody. The resurrection meant that all of the promises that Jesus made were now true. You know, if he didn't rise from the dead, his promises meant nothing. But when he rose from the dead, every promise of God that Jesus Christ made meant everything. And they should mean everything to you. When you read the scriptures and you read the promises of God, because he is alive, those promises are for you, they are true. If he can rise from the dead, he can do all of those other things that he has promised. Finally, the resurrection assures us of heaven. And I stole a little bit of clip art there from a friend of ours. <laughs> Peter Peter Ramsey is the guy who's, who has this website called Heaven for Sure. I like that. I like the name he's got on it. I've seen bumper stickers over in PEI with Heaven for Sure on the bumper sticker. I like that idea. I am sure of heaven. I've spoken to people and they say, "I hope I get to heaven." I mean, mm. a lot of people are thinking that. Oh, we have hope if we die. That you know, the weight, the scales, and all of that stuff. I'd rather have heaven for sure. In fact, Peter says, you've got a reservation. Don't you like when you go to a restaurant if you've ever done this? And you walk in and they're standing at a desk like this. Hello, do you have a reservation? Yes, I do, McDonald's. I have a million McDonald's on the list. Uh, uh, David, oh, come this way. Oh, it's so nice and friendly and warm. Oh, how are you, how was your day? I have a reservation. Peter says, I have a reservation in heaven. There's no coming up and getting stumped by three questions by St. Peter at some fictitious gate. I walk right on in. I've got a reservation. I'm there. You see, that's what the resurrection has done for us. The word heaven appears 142 times in the Gospels. Jesus does speak more of hell, but he does speak an awful lot of heaven. He speaks of the kingdom of heaven, your reward in heaven. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven, Joy that is in heaven over sinners repenting. A sign from heaven. And he said, heaven is God's throne. Heaven became really real to the disciples and to Peter. When they saw Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 24, verses 50-51 and in Acts chapter 1, they saw Jesus Christ ascend up into heaven. Heaven opened, he went up. They realized that is where we're going. He is coming back and we are going there. How else do you account for their lives? You see, First of all, all of them, with the exception of John, they tried their best, but they all died a martyr's death. Renounce him and we will let you go. If not, we are going to kill you. I'm going to die. I'd rather die. He's risen. I've seen him alive. I'm going to heaven. I have heaven for sure. What are you going to do? You're going to open the door to heaven and let me in? Thank you very much, is the way they looked at it. It wasn't like, okay, 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 you know, i got to weigh this up. No, they knew and heaven was real. And for every believer, heaven is real. You see, that is our great hope. That is our great hope, the hope of heaven. 1 Corinthians, it was read this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitiful, or most pitied, or most miserable, it says in the King James. You see, if I, that's, that's what's wrong with the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, hey, You know what, trust Jesus Christ and look at all you're going to get today here in this life. Who cares? Trust Jesus Christ and you have the sure hope and promise of heaven. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are among, of all men, most pitied. Our faith in Jesus Christ gives us hope for the here and now but it also motivates because we are going to be going to heaven. Popular Christian book tells us that our best life is now. I disagree with it. Your best life is much later. Your best life is ahead of you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, his resurrection guarantees your resurrection. There was a a letter once sent from social services, and I know we have people probably online in here that may work for social services, but that's okay. It wasn't in Canada, it was somewhere in the US. And they sent this letter to this man, and it was addressed to a dead man. So the relative opened it up and it says, Dear Mr. Smith, we have recently received news of your death, and therefore we need to stop, stop pay- all payments. However, if your circumstances change in the future, Please let us know. <laughs> now, if you sent that to dear Lazarus, then okay, that's valid. But, but it wasn't. It was, it was to a dead man. <laughs> you know, after this life, he doesn't need social services. He doesn't need anything. He has got heaven. He has got Jesus Christ forever. As I, as I close, the resurrection shows mercy. Mercy. If the greatest enemy, death, has been defeated, then you've got nothing to fear. Death is merely a shadow. If the resurrection gives you life and shares the life of Jesus Christ with you, then you need to really live. You have everything to live for. You've got nothing to lose in this life. And share that life with others. Share the hope of that life with others. If the resurrection gives you great hope, then face life with a confident optimism for the future. You have nothing to regret. You have hope. And if the resurrection assures you of heaven, be assured your best days are ahead. The best is yet to come. Now here's the thing. If you don't have any of those things, if you say, well, I I hear what you're saying, but but, but but for me, I've never taken that in. Just like that lady did on Friday morning. This is for you. Jesus Christ did not just rise for Peter. He did not just rise to put on a show for anybody else. He rose from the dead for you. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was delivered up or put on the cross because of our transgressions, but he was raised for our justification. Jesus rose from the dead so that you can have life Abundant life, eternal life. Life in him and life in heaven forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that we can know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is more than just a wishful hope. He is a living hope. He has given us life. He has shown us your mercy. He has assured us of heaven. Lord, if there's anybody here or anybody online or somebody who will watch this later and they don't know him, may they put their full trust in him. Lord, we praise you this morning that he is alive and we rejoice in that. In his precious name, amen. I'd like to sing in...